Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's interesting the, uh, that he, call, he called the, that stone in the place Bethel, um, and the word means um, house of God. And uh, you might think of the word Bethlehem. Beth means house. El means God. And so Beth, Bethel, Bethel uh, means house of God. Bethlehem, Lehem means bread. And so Bethlehem is house of bread. And of course, the bread of life was born there. Let us turn to God in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for these words from the Old Testament. They Wow, in uh, the book of Genesis, we, we learn about your patriarchs and we, we see all the good and the bad. We see their warts, we see their wonderful spirits. And it is encouraging to us to know that you would use such fallible people to bring blessings to the world. That gives us hope that you can use us as well. So, Lord, in these few moments together, as we contemplate the blessings you shared with them and what you share with us, we pray, Lord, that you would give us some wisdom. Might we learn the lesson of our patriarchs and, uh, and then put them to practice in our own lives today. So speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, I want to talk a little bit about inheritances today. And Jacob was one that we started talking about last, last week. And, um, you know, Jacob had a lot to inherit. Going back to his grandfather, Abraham. Now, in the beginning of the story of Abraham, we learn that his name is Abram. Uh, eventually, in his relationship with God, his name is changed to Abraham. Much like so many people in the Bible, when, when they encounter God and something significant really happens in that relationship, often their names are changed. Like Abram becomes Abraham, Sarai becomes Sarah, 
uh, Saul becomes Paul, Simon becomes Peter. I mean, it goes on and on, so many examples like that. So what you'll notice uh, from time to time in, in this message of mine that I will kind of uh, sometimes call Abram, Abraham, and sometimes I'll call Abraham, Abram. But in the beginning, he was called Abram. And that's where all of the riches that Jacob ultimately uh, will inherit, that's where they began. They began with Abram. When God originally called Abram, he was living in a country called, or in a region or uh, place in, in uh, the Middle East known as Haran. And God calls to Abram and says, I want you to, I want you to go where I lead you. I'm not going to tell you where. What we learn later is that where Abram is sent is to Canaan, or what we might ultimately learn uh, in the story of Moses is the promised land. So God sends Abram to Canaan, and he is 75 years old at that time. So uh, those of us who are either approaching that age or who are beyond that age, there's hope for us because here God was taking Abram at, at an elder stage in his life and was still able to do some significant things with Abram. And so what God says to Abram is, I will make of you a great nation. In other words, if you do what I'm asking you to do, if you leave your kinsfolk behind, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. Already, see, already God is accumulating blessings for Abram. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. In essence, God is saying, I'm going to be right by your side. I'm going to help you out on this journey. When Abram eventually arrives in Canaan, God says to him, to your offspring, I will give this land. So not only am I going to bless you, make your name great, and, and um, bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, I'm going to give you this land. It's all a gift. Now, the scriptures tell us that Abram becomes very rich in livestock and in silver and in gold. And both he and his nephew, Lot, who apparently is traveling with him, the scriptures say that they had flocks and herds and tents. And apparently they had so many of these items that they could no longer be sustained on the land where they found themselves. Maybe there wasn't enough pasture land for, for their cattle. Whatever the reason was, they had to separate, and that's indeed what they did. They had to separate, and Lot went off to another place, and Abram stayed where he was. Now, after this separation, the scriptures tell us that Lot was captured by some of the enemies of Israel, ostensibly the people who were already living in the land that they were now taking over. And Abram has to kind of get together a little army and go and rescue him. And, and when Lot is freed from his captors, God then says to Abraham, Raise your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land you see I will give to you and to your offspring 
forever. So Abram, now becoming Abraham, his holdings are really starting to stretch out across the region. He then says, look toward heaven and count the stars. If you are able to count them, so shall your descendants be. So the blessings of God now, you see, are just really starting to amass. He starts off first by saying, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to give you livestock, livestock and silver and gold. I'm going to give you all these possessions. I'm going to give you this land as far as you can see. But in addition, I'm going to give you offspring that will number like the stars in heaven. And really for the people in that day, that was the greatest of blessings to be showered upon them. So needless to say, Abram, who has become Abraham, was a very wealthy man. Well, Isaac was his son, and he inherited all of what was given to uh, his father, Abraham. At the age of 40, Isaac was um, married to Rebekah. And of course, last Sunday, we, we learned about that whole situation where Abraham sends his servant back to his homeland in Haran to bring a wife back to Canaan so that Isaac could marry her. And that, of course, was Rebekah. And the covenant that God had made with Abraham, when God said, if you'll go, you know, and do what I tell you to do, go to the land that I'm calling you to go to, I'm going to bless you in all these ways. Now that covenant becomes Isaac's covenant. It's re reconfirmed by God with Isaac. God says, reside in this land as an alien, meaning in Canaan, reside in this land as an alien. I will be with you and will bless you. Does that sound familiar? For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands and fulfill the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. So God is saying, you know, everything I did before, I'm going to do for you. I will make your offspring as numerous as stars in heaven. Now, the scriptures go on to tell us a little bit about Isaac and how he takes those blessings and what he does with them. And, and uh, you know, it's not like he just sits around. The scriptures tell us that he reaped a hundredfold. He, he sowed seed in that land and he reaped a hundredfold. He became rich and very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household so that the Philistines envied him. The Philistines, of course, were people who were already living in that land. How do you spell filthy rich? I-S-A-A-C, Isaac. He was filthy rich for his time and his place. Now, that was what Jacob was due to inherit. So maybe now, maybe we might come to understand. Ooh, no wonder he made that pot of stew. No wonder he kind of said, hey, Esau, why don't you give me your birthright, you know, for the mere price of a little bowl of soup. 
That's what we learned last week, remember? And we might have thought, well, that was just a little minor trickery, you know, boys will be boys. But you know what? He had a lot to inherit. Because you see, the, the son that had the birthright, the, the eldest son, was due to get double portion of anything else the others would receive. If there were several sons, um, they would be divided up, but there would be an extra portion for the eldest. The birthright meant double portion. And not only that, with the birthright came the judicial authority of the family, meaning when there were conflicts within among the servants or just within the household, any decisions that needed to be made that were sort of judgments that needed to be made, the one with the birthright had that authority to do that. Now later, and we talked about this last week, later uh, as Isaac became very old and was reaching his last days and his eyesight had failed him, that's when Rebekah and Jacob kind of connived together and, and they fooled Isaac into giving the blessing that was to be given to the eldest son, he gave it to Jacob instead. And, and as I said then, and I would repeat it, that it's one of the most poignant scenes in the Bible where Esau comes in from the hunt and he realizes that his father has given the blessing that was due him to his younger brother, Jacob, and he just weeps. Even his father, Isaac, trembles, it says, because he realizes what he did and, 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 and he can't, he can't, turn it around. He can't change it. And, and Esau just weeps and begs his father, you know, to give him a blessing. Don't you, don't you have a little bit more that you could give me? And Isaac says, no, what I've done, I've done. Well, with the blessing comes the authority to be head of the household, not just to make judgments, but the one who has the blessing of the father becomes the head of the family. And therefore, becomes the patriarch, if you will, of the family. And that was the case for Jacob now. He would have double portion. He would have judicial authority. He would be the head of the family because it had all come to him with a little bit of trickery. No wonder his name was Jacob. That means grabber because he had been grabbing from the very moment of his birth. Jacob undoubtedly was due to become a very wealthy man. But his brother Esau had other plans. In fact, Rebekah hears of those plans. Those plans are plain and simple. He's going to kill his brother Jacob when the time of mourning ends after their father dies. Rebekah learns of this. She shares that with her husband Isaac. And even though he's on his deathbed, he realizes that Esau is the kind of man that will do what he has said he's going to do. And so Isaac tells Jacob he needs to go back to his homeland of Haran. And does this not sound familiar? I want you to go there and find a wife for you. Not among the Canaanites. I want you to go back to Haran. That's exactly what happened with Isaac. So Isaac sends Jacob away, but you know why Jacob is leaving. He's, he's running from Esau. He doesn't want to be around when his father dies because that's when Jake, uh, Esau will uh, exact his revenge on Jacob. See what I mean about the, 
about the uh, about the book of Genesis and about the patriarchs. Oh, my goodness, they're real people. They're, I mean, they're just as conniving as we are. <laughs> and yet God is able to use them. Now, it was during this flight for his life that Jacob encounters God out there in the wilderness. When night comes and he lays his head upon that rock that he would eventually call Bethel, he has this dream. And in the dream, there are these angels going up and down a ladder, back and forth from heaven, bringing comfort and assurance that he's not alone. God stands next to him in this dream. And in so many ways, repeats or renews the covenant that God had made with his grandfather Abraham and with his father Isaac. Now it becomes Jacob's blessing, his God's promise to him. And I read this from our scripture lesson this morning, verse 13 of chapter 28. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Now what I have not emphasized up to this point is what God is saying to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob about what they are to do with those blessings. I've shared with you the blessings that God has showered upon these these men and their families. But in every instant, God says to them that I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. In Genesis 12, 2, What's inscribed on my wedding band. God says to Abraham, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'm not just going to give you the blessing and then walk away. I'm going to bless you so that you can do something with it. I want you to be a blessing. And then to Isaac, God says in Genesis 26, 4, and all the nations of the earth shall gain blessing for themselves through your offspring. And in Genesis 26, verse 14, God continues that message to Jacob. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Each one of them provides a a living example of what what Jesus speaks about later when when he is teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. He says, from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. And from the one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. At Luke 12, verse 48. You see, when Jesus tells his disciples that if, if you've given much, you're going you're gonna to need to give much. He's really continuing a long line of tradition within the, the Hebrew faith that God is saying, I'm going to bless you, but I want you to do something with it. I want you to be a blessing to others. All of us, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to our current day, all of us have been blessed so we can be a blessing to others.
Now, I don't need to tell you, but I will anyway, that you and I have inherited a boatload of blessings. For instance, let's just take this country, just this nation alone. The land on which we walk and on which we build our houses and on which we go to school and to work and recreate, the land that we put our feet on was taken from Native Americans. It didn't belong to us. We're all immigrants. We have inherited the very nation that we have, we've inherited. It's been given to us. We woke up in our lifetime. We woke up and here it was. And the freedom that we experience, it allows us to come here and we don't have to worry about somebody standing outside the door taking names or taking pictures of us as we come to worship. We don't have to worship in the middle of the night in a basement somewhere so that nobody will know that we've come together to be Christians. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about being beheaded because we follow Christ. We don't have to worry about that. But that freedom was bought and paid for by the lifeblood of patriots who went before us. Our standard of living is unequaled in most parts of the world. And it has been provided to us by the hard work and ingenuity of many generations of entrepreneurs that have gone before us. So you see, just by being in this country, we have been blessed. We have inherited wonderful blessings. And what about our bodies? I mean, my goodness, you woke up this morning and you took a breath. Where, where did you, what store did you buy that breath from? And where did you buy your body? Whether you like it or not, <laughs> our body size, shape, often is determined by what we have inherited from those who went before us. Our eye color, our health risks, and our health benefits. You know, it makes me so angry when these little skinny people go around and eat all they want <laughs> because they just have the right DNA. They have the right metabolism. It doesn't matter what they eat. They're going to be skinny. And some of us, we could stop eating for a week and we would gain weight, you know. We inherit that, you see. There are a lot of things we can do with those inheritances, but, but nonetheless, most of what we receive in our lives our gifts. This very church in which we find ourselves. Oh, we've, we've done some things along the way and we've put some extra paint on the walls and we've maybe we're repairing the windows now and maybe we've added a few things along the way. But you know, there were a group of people in 1923 that broke ground on a, on a steel structure and, it, and this building rose up out of the ground a structure that we probably could not rebuild today if we had to start from scratch. And the congregation that broke ground that day was a congregation that began in 1834. And if it had not been for them and the generations that followed up to that point, even the breaking of the ground would not have occurred. And that's what we've inherited we have over $2 million worth of endowments. You know how many churches would love to have a fraction of that? And, and what did we do to earn that? It was a gift. 
We inherited it. And the people who went before us over those many generations, they're the ones who began such ministries as loaves and fishes and bread and blessings and pachum and impact and Stephen ministry and the quilt ministry, our Appalachia service project, our Stop Hunger Now or Rise Against Hunger, the preschool, Haiti, Lithuania. I mean, we can go on and on, and I've only, I've only started the list. And how many of us started those ministries? Oh, we, we participated in them, but would they still be here if someone had not begun them years before we ever arrived? And you know, we're part of a larger church. We're not just a little local congregation here. We, we spend about $100,000 every year to the, we, we give that to our larger United Methodist family. And if, if it were not for that larger family, we would not be inheriting 52 hospitals and health centers around the world. How many local congregations can say that? We inherit 92 four-year colleges and universities, 13 theological schools. All are inherited. We've inherited that from other United Methodists who came before us. 677 missionaries 125 volunteers in mission. All of that is part of this larger church we call the United Methodist Church. And what have you and I done to make that happen? We support it and we encourage it through our apportionments and through our giving, but so much of it we have inherited. And need I tell you that as a child of God, you and I have inherited eternal life as a gift. God stretched out God's arms across a cross to give us life. And we didn't have to do a thing for that. Our values, our character as, as followers of Christ, they come to us as gifts. We're blessed people. But what's important is we're blessed so that we might be a blessing. What we have inherited is not for ours to keep. We are required by our faith to pass it on. As I told the children, when, when Cheryl and I were married 36 years ago, we had engraved on our wedding bands Genesis 12:2. It was the promise of God to Abraham that I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. And it's a promise that God has made to me and to Cheryl over all these years. And it is a call for us to be a blessing. When our oldest son graduated from college, he invited two homeless men to attend his graduation. They sat with us and we talked with them and they said, you know, we've known a lot of college students over the years, but... Um, this is the very first time we've ever been invited to one of their graduations. Afterward, when we all went to lunch together, I overheard one of the, one of the men who was middle-aged, probably in his 50s, and he, he said to Matthew, he said, Matthew, he, he was a recovering alcoholic, he said, Matthew, you saved my life. 
I'd like to think that Matthew was passing on his inheritance. I'd, I'd like to think that he inherited from his parents and from his church and from so many other influences that God had sent his way along his journey of life. I'd like to think that he inherited that kind of character and that sense of value that he would pass on his inheritance to these two men. God says, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. What you inherit isn't yours to keep. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us when we take our inheritance for granted. Forgive us for thinking that sometimes like Jacob, we can just grab the blessings of life and therefore they've come by our own doing. Remind us, Lord, that most of the blessings in life that come our way are gifts. And all you're asking us to do is to share them. Amen.